You are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. Your host, Jeff Lloyd. Today's episode of Locked On Browns is brought to you by Built Bar. Great flavor, tastes like a candy bar, really, really good for you. Go to BuiltBar.com right now to get $10 off your first box when you use the promo code Locked On. BuiltBar.com, www.BuiltBar.com. Trust me, guys, tastes like a candy bar. Great for your body, gives you a good kick in the morning. Really helpful if you use it before a workout. BuiltBar.com has got you covered. It is the continuation of Crossover Week. We're going to get to some thoughts here on the schedule, me solo and breaking it down into quarters. We're also going to sit down with Evan Sittery of Locked On Colts as we uh, Browns face off with the AFC South this year. Going to be a strong division in the AFC South. We'll get it kicked off here a little later on the show with a sit-down conversation with Evan Sittery about all the changes that have gone on this offseason in Indianapolis. This is Jeff Lloyd with your Cleveland Browns lead story from Locked On Browns. It's official. We have ourselves a 2020 Cleveland Browns schedule, and we're going to go through this here. We're probably going to take it through quarters, games one through four, et cetera, et cetera, as far as looking for what the Browns are going to be facing in the 2020 season. First quarter of the season, you look at the uh, season opener at the Baltimore Ravens. Obviously, it's going to be a difficult, difficult test when Cleveland went down to face the Ravens in week four of the 2019 season with a full defense, with a solid game plan. They were able to hold down Lamar Jackson, and obviously everybody knows how that went. Cleveland won the game, essentially going away and handedly 2-2 uh, two and two before they went out to face the San Francisco 49ers, and we all know what happened there. The season opener, week two, Thursday night, quick turnaround after facing a smart physical team like the Ravens with the Bengals. That's tough, obviously, no doubt about it. Then you get about a 10-day break for the Washington Redskins to come into town before you follow up in week four and go face the Dallas Cowboys. You look at the Bengals game, you look at the Redskins games as both winnable. Ravens, Cowboys, both difficult places to play on the road. You need to try and steal one of those. You do. You can find a way to get maybe three out of four wins here in that first quarter, setting you up for a nice run here where we head into the second quarter of the season. Colts will come in for a 425 game. I'm assuming with a 425 start, you're talking about it possibly being nationally televised. Followed by your first trip to Pittsburgh, week seven, then you are headed to the Bengals. Week eight, the Las Vegas Raiders come into town. You look at the Raiders and the Bengals here. Obviously, both games that you probably feel could be winnable. It'll be a little bit tougher maybe in Cincinnati on their turf as Joe Burrow starts to grow as a quarterback with the Colts and the Steelers also in this quarter here. So you look at two, you know, the Raiders and the Bengals, hopefully very winnable games that should be on your slate. Colts-Steelers, again, same type of scenario here at Pittsburgh or home for Indianapolis. Indianapolis is established as they are. you got to try and steal one of these games, whether it's the Colts, whether it's the Steelers. Get yourself to 3-4 and four to possibly get yourself 6-2 and two headed to the bye, which is week 9. Nice job here with the bye this year. You get eight games. You get your bye week. Then you go play your final eight games. Coming out of the bye, it's a little bit of a tough stretch here. Uh, you're going to have the Houston Texans coming to town. You're going to have the Philadelphia Eagles coming to town. Trip down to Jacksonville to go see old friend Joe Schobert. And then a trip to the Tennessee Titans. This is probably the toughest slate as far as opponents. You're talking about the Texans. You're talking about the Eagles. You're talking about the Titans. All these teams were playoff teams last year. You figure the Jaguars should be a double W, should be a winnable game, even on the road down in Jacksonville. 
but that Houston Philly back to back, and then after the Jaguar game, you got to travel to the Tennessee Titans. Those three games, you got to find a way to go two and two in the stretch. So if you can steal the Texans, steal the Eagles game, or perhaps perhaps even steal the Titans game. This is the crucial stretch of the season. It's these four games, in my opinion. Good thing you get these games coming out of the bye. But these, this is the really, really most difficult part of the schedule here with three out of four 2019 playoff teams in a four-game stretch sandwiched in there with the Jacksonville Jaguars. You close the season out. Week 14, the Baltimore Ravens will be coming to town for Monday night football. Uh, again, this is about you know personnel and whether or not you're going to be able to handle Lamar Jackson. Uh, the way to handle Lamar Jackson is hopefully with your offense. If your offense is able to go out and score a ton of points, your offense is able to go out and sustain drives and keep Lamar off the field, it's going to aid your defense. Take the run game away from him. Put him in a position where you don't have to worry about the run. You just have to worry about him as a passer. Look, he's improved as a passer. I'm not trying to knock him in that respect. But when it is that dual threat you have to worry about with Lamar Jackson, it makes it extremely, extremely difficult. So if you can shorten the game, shorten his time on the field, makes it easier. So that's your Week 14 game. 15, 16, back-to-back trips to MetLife Stadium to face the New York Giants, the New York Jets. In my opinion, in this slate of games here, these are winnable games in this quarter here. Uh, Giants have a lot a lot of new additions. We'll see how that works out, similar to Cleveland as well. Jets have a lot of new additions. We'll see how that works out. As you heard with Connor Rogers on Locked On Browns, he still thought the roster's fine. The question is who's running the show, essentially, as far as Adam Gates, the head coach for the New York Jets. He doesn't improve. I'm not sure the New York Jets greatly improve from where they were in 2019. You close out the 2020 season with the Pittsburgh Steelers coming to First Energy. Obviously, a, a, you know, most likely a lot on the line here. Possibly a shot at a wild card. You know, I, I don't know if anybody's going to catch Baltimore in 2020. So this could be a battle for a wild card spot here between the Browns and the Steelers. In week 17, this quarter, Ravens, Giants, Jets, Steelers. Giants, Jets look like winnable games. you got to find a way to steal either Raven game or the Steeler game. This is Ben, Jeff Lloyd, Locked On Browns. Check out the big show, iTunes, Spotify. It's just really hard to explain the taste of Built Bar. Real chocolate, amazing flavors. The first couple I've had, whether it was mint chocolate chip or the toffee almond, just really, really very good. Tastes good. Almost like a candy bar. It's just crazy how good these are and actually how much help they can actually bring to your body. Amazing combination of low calorie, high protein, and low sugar. No crazy additives. If you compare it to the most popular men's bar, it is half the calories, seven times fewer carbs, seven times fewer sugar grams, and more protein. How can it be that good for you and taste that good? Almost as good as a candy bar? That's the secret that built bar.com is keeping for themselves. One thing I do appreciate with Built Bar is you can build your own box. With most variety packs, they just send you what they send you. Built Bar, you can go in and customize your own variety pack. Go to builtbar.com. Use the promo code LOCKDOWN to get $10 off your first bar. www.builtbar.com. Again, use that promo code LOCKEDON and just check it out for yourself. Hello, everybody. Welcome back into your latest episode of our Locked On Crossover Specials. This week, though, is the AFC North versus the AFC South. And for our Monday episode, I am joined by Jeff Lloyd of Locked On Browns. I am Evan Sager of Locked On Colts. Jeff, how are you doing today? Uh, we're doing good. Uh, you know, uh, for everybody out there, that applies to. Uh, we're recording on Mother's Day, so all you moms out there, uh, you know, continue to keep up the great work here, which is probably the most difficult difficult situation 
that any parent can be placed in. But, uh, you know, keep rocking on. Moms are doing a fantastic job. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely agree with the word you say there, Jeff. We're going to dive in. The first part today's show list, we're going to talk about the Cleveland Browns, and we're going to dive into the last second of our show for our crossover. We're talking about the Annapolis Colts here. But let's start off with the Cleveland Browns, Jeff. Let's, let's kick things back in the time machine just for a second, looking back to last offseason. A lot of hype around this Browns team. Just what went wrong last season for them? Because a lot, a lot of people were pegging them as, as far as a, a really dark horse team to make a big run last year. Uh, it was look. I think last year was a lot of chasing names. Um, you know, chasing guys based on what they had done, um, as opposed to what you're seeing so far this year. A lot of it is you know fit and scheme, and you're hearing these words. Um, you know, John Dorsey sacrificed a lot of the future of this franchise, and whether or not he, you know, oh, I don't think we're you know essentially going to you know contend in 2019. You don't make the moves you made in 2019 without thinking you were going to contend. You don't give up, you know, a lot of your draft to get Odell Beckham Jr., um, a player like Olivier Vernon. Uh, you, you just don't make those splashes unless you truly think you're in it. Um, I think what it was is they figured they were just going to go ahead and amass a lot of talent. And maybe where the issue was was obviously with what they chose to lead said talent. Freddie Kitchens, and look, we're all guilty of it. I was guilty of it. The, the work he did towards the end of the 2018 season – you know, we were all kind of, hey, why not Freddie Kitsons? And I think part of it was is we didn't necessarily want somebody to just say, oh, yeah, I'll go coach the Cleveland Browns, where if they had been asked any offseason for 10 years before, it would have been like, nah, no way in the world. I won't even interview with the Cleveland Browns. So he gave Freddie the job. Um, it showed quickly and apparently that he was over his head. Um, it certainly didn't help that, you know, Odell was injured, Jarvis was injured, and these guys were really only essentially practicing on Fridays. Then you get to the point with the defense. Um, the defense did a pretty good job. You go to week four, the, you know, the big win down in Baltimore, they were able to you know, contain Lamar to the point where they were able to take the run game away from him. That looked impressive. But then you look at the fact that they were missing their cornerbacks, both of them together at the same time, this is the same amount of time, well over a month of action. Then you get to Miles Garrett and obviously the suspension that led to six games. Olivier Vernon missed a ton of time. This team was extremely, extremely deep. They had eight safeties on the roster. But by the time you got down to late November and December, this team was playing safeties number six, seven, and eight. So the top five safeties were out there. Just a lot of injuries, um, you know, a lot of not being led, not being taught, you know, the game planning, whatever game planning was put in, it was essentially scrapped once the game got going and the bullets started flying. You know, they scripted plays, first couple of series or so looked pretty good. Then after that, it was, you know, a lot of off the cuff. Um, didn't really know what they were doing. You look at some of the talent that Baker exceeded with in 2018, whether it was a Duke Johnson, whether it was a Rashard Higgins, whether it was a David Njoku. David Njoku and Rashard Higgins um, combined for 99 receptions in 2018. They combined for nine in 2019. These were two of Baker's keys. Guys, he had to start learning to play with other guys. It didn't work. You know, Baker himself obviously had a big, you know, had a fall off after a tremendous 2018 rookie season. Just, you know, everything, and it certainly didn't help the pressure, and it certainly didn't help, like, they were essentially anointed, and then when they got themselves into, you know, some times where, you know, they took a couple of shots during the game, they just weren't able to get up off the campus, I mean, off the campus and respond. It just, you know, it, it, as great as it looked on paper going into it, you know, once you got into it and you just saw the way it was working and the offense was stale and lackluster and it never really got an identity to it other than Nick Chubb, just real tough season all around. Speaking of Baker Mayfield, I want to hit really quickly just on how big of a year this is, entering year three for him. And with this Browns team, of course, they've improved a lot in the draft. I'm going to ask you about your next question here because they, I think they had a really great draft class they put together here. But 
for Baker Mayfield specifically, how do you believe 2020 is going to be for him? Because I think it's a year where he's going to have to prove a lot on the, on the table for, for people out there. Well, I, I mean, you look at it this way. You know, Rashard Higgins, David Njoku, two players who were essentially, you know, obviously Njoku was injured for a ton of, uh, you know, 19. Um, they picked up his fifth-year option. They, you know, this franchise, you know, in this front office, the way it's set up, they want David Njoku to be a part of this thing, which is good. Baker had a great relationship. Rashard Higgins, Baker's best relationship with any skilled player on this team is Rashard Higgins. They just have this, you know, hidden language, the yin to the yang. One knows what the other one's doing. Uh, Higgins really only play of consequence last year in 2019. They called his number. They needed a touchdown to beat Buffalo. Boom, called his number. It happened. Um, you know, Odell, the, the health is already there. He's working out like a madman. There's been videos out. He already looks, in my opinion, looks thicker than I think he ever has in his NFL career. Jarvis Landry, we're going to have to wait on a little bit, you know, as far as, you know, his, you know, recovery from injury is probably going to last, you know, a good amount until the summer. Um, yes, there's a lot on Baker because, um, look, Kevin Stefanski's coming in here. Um, and if it doesn't work, it, it, it could be an issue. And Kevin Stefanski maybe wants to put his eyes somewhere else. Uh, I do think that he has a feeling that Baker Mayfield is going to fit what he wants to do well. Baker's great with the play action. Kevin Stefanski loves tight ends. Whether you go to Oklahoma or you go to the rookie year, you know, Baker's rookie year in the NFL, Baker throws well to tight ends. He loves working with the tight ends. So that should bode well for him. Um, you have a strong running game. You're going to get a full season of Kareem Hunt. Um, you know, Kareem's the better receiver uh, than Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb probably can work every day of his life and he'll just never have the natural instinctual ability as a receiver that Kareem Hunt does. There's a ton of weapons, but they've done the most important thing here, and that's solidify the offensive line. Left tackle, right tackle. It was just, it was a major, major issue. Chris Hubbard isn't big enough, wasn't physical enough. Greg Robinson, you know, God bless Greg Robinson for what he had did in his career. I mean, to shake off the bus label, to get to the point where 2018, he was a respectable name at the tackle position, but you were asking him to go out and play, you know, even better than he did in 2018, which was the best football he'd ever played in his life. Natural regression for him. You know, the pass rushers kept coming. Um, it's, it's all on, it's all on Baker and there's no way around it. The 21 interceptions, he's owned up to it. He's talked about how his footwork was issues. He's talked about how he had, you know, wasn't taking his drops correctly. Um, and I think part of it was his constant changing of the skill position that was on the field. Hopefully that won't be, you know, so much the key here, but I, I just think, and the thing with Baker is Baker's never really taken it on the chin. It was college career at Oklahoma is fairly easy. You walked into the NFL, you took an own 16 team to seven, eight and one. Um, so we had a lot of taste of success. And then all of a sudden now you're on, you know, the circuit, you know, where, you know, the beloved darling and to his own credit, maybe, you know, he bought into it much more than he should have. Um, and now he's, you know, had to basically humble himself and get back to work and, and work harder. He's thrilled about what this situation brings. He's already talked about, you know, he's noticing a huge difference between what Kevin Stefanski is bringing as a first year head coach, as opposed to what Freddie Kitchens did. And as far as his communication and detail, and there's, you know, questions, and it's not just, well, do this because I'm the coach. You know, Kevin Stefanski is an intelligent enough man that he understands the intelligence level of kids these days. And he can't just use the, oh, we're going to do this because I'm the coach. These kids are smart enough. They want to know why. They want to see what you're seeing, or at least, you know, they want a vision. They want to see the vision of what you're saying. And I have a lot of faith that Baker's going to bounce back. And Baker Mayfield just, for me, he's the type of guy that, you know, he always carries that chip. But when there's that reason and the fact that he's been essentially maybe knocked down a peg, he's a guy, man, comes really, really hard to think you're going to bet against.
Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there on that sentiment, Jeff. And it's going to be a big 2020 for not only the Browns, but Baker Mayfield himself here. Before I let, let you go here for the first segment, talking about Cleveland Browns, let me on the draft real quick because I think the draft class Cleveland was really, really good. You got Jedrick Wills at 10 overall, who I think was the best tackle in the draft. You got Grant Delphi, who's a top 10 pick in the preseason. He slipped all the way down to 44 to do his performance last year. Then you added Jordan Elliott of Missouri as well. It seems like the first four or five picks are going to be day one stars for this Browns team, Jeff. Um, well, I, I love the way it went, and it worked out really well because, I mean, and that was the thing. Like, you know, we had so much debate between the fans and everybody. And, oh, I want this tackle. I want this tackle. I'm just like, guys, look, we're talking about four solid players. Look, just give me one of them. They got into a great situation at 10 where there were still three of them available, so that worked out beautifully well. You know, they're, you know they can say whatever they want. You know, I, I from what I had heard, I personally believe that Andrew Thomas was their number one overall. Um, you can't complain. He went four. It wasn't an option. They really like Jedrick Wills. They like what he can do in the run game. And as far as his fit with this wide zone scheme that Kevin Stefanski loves, they love the, the pass blocker that he's developing into. Um, his foot, footwork is good enough that even if he gets slightly beat, it's not over. I mean, there's times where he can still adjust and get himself back engaged. Are you still going to have some hesitation about him and the fact that he's never played the left side? Sure. It's natural. It makes a ton of sense. Um, but you know, they're thrilled to have him. And you look at it, you know, he's going to come into this room with Conklin, with J.C. Shredder, with Joel Batonio. There's guys here, with, you know, battle-tested in the NFL. So even if Jedrick Wills has a question or there's something he's not doing right and he's not exactly sure what to do, there are solid veterans here that he can go to and say, hey, guys, what's going on here? What, how, what am I doing wrong? You know, whether, is it technique? Am I reading something wrong? Am I not seeing something right? So he just comes into a great, great room. And Joel Batonio, J.C. Trader are great guys, willing to help younger guys. Joel gets that mentality from Joe Thomas, who did the same thing with him. So it's not, it's not just a great player. It's just not a great fit. He's walking into a great room here. And these guys on this offensive line, these guys, in their, they want this franchise to succeed. You know, Joel Batonio signed here long term. J.C. Trader just signed an extension. He didn't have to do that. J.C. Trader's developed himself to one of the better centers in the NFL. He could have said, you know what, I know what, I want to go to Greenier Pastures. I'd like to go somewhere over there. These guys are happy, extremely happy here. Grant Delpit, this was the one after round one ended. You know, I'm sitting there for about, you know, 16 hours in between the end of round one to round two. This is the guy. This is the guy. Man, if they can somehow get this guy. Then all of a sudden, you see the trade. Indianapolis Colts jump up to 41. And for me to still get Grant Delpit at 44 and add an extra selection, like, like you said, um, and it's similar to Greedy Williams, who they drafted in 2019. He was a guy that was considered a top 10, can't miss. Then, you know, the high ankle sprain. Had three weeks of subpar play. Subpar play as far as Grant Delpit is concerned. Not necessarily subpar as far as some other players are concerned, which had him in the second round here. You bring him in here. You've heard, now, this is five LSU players into the room. Uh, he's got the big ego. He's played all the big games. You're ready for this guy to be part of this team. Jordan Elliott is just a great fit here because the way this defensive tackles are constructed for the Browns, you have Billings on a one-year deal who you just signed. Sheldon Richardson, essentially his contract could be up after 2020. Larry Ogunjobi does not have a contract beyond 2020. So you may, you possibly could have Jordan Elliott as the only, only defensive tackle on your roster going into 2021. He excels both ways. He's, he's very, very good as a pass rusher. And the thing for him is, you know, the numbers weren't there at Missouri. Yes, guess what? He was their best player on defense. You're playing these SEC teams. What did they say? All right, if we're going to get beat, it ain't going to be the dude. Jordan, you know, Jordan, he's not, Jordan Elliott's not going to be the one to beat us. But he also excels in the run game. His quickness, his strength, he gets into the backfield. He's a great, great two-way player. 
the thing I love here is you do not have to rely on him. And it wouldn't be strange if you drafted a defensive tackle in a third round and said, day one, automatic starter. He comes in here as maybe the fourth defensive tackle. So you get a nice chance to audition him, get his feet wet, and just see where you are for 2021. If you're going to move on from a guy or two, you know, and how much piece of the pie you want to give him for 2021. He's another guy that comes into a great room. Not, doesn't have to have a bunch of expectations on him, even though he should for where he's drafted. But great player, functional as far as run defense and pass rusher. Just a solid job. And they, and they really did a nice job. And I think the thing that impressed me most is they went into this draft with seven selections. And their last pick was supposed to be late in round seven. They were done by pick 183 and still made seven selections, got themselves a couple more picks now where they have 10 picks in the 2021 class. That was a really, really great job by a first-time front office and GM Andrew Barry of setting yourself up for today, but also setting yourself up for tomorrow. Before we go on to segment two of our show, talking about the Indianapolis Colts, to remind you guys if you have not already to subscribe to Locked on Browns and Locked on Colts and Locked on NFL Network. Me and Jeff bring you guys daily analysis Monday through Friday and give you guys really a lot of fun analysis too. And I know, Jeff, it's a fun time of the year, especially for post-draft or looking ahead to the season. So if you have not already, go ahead and do so. Go subscribe to Locked on Browns and Locked on Colts. Back to you guys in just a second. All right, Jeff, let's dive in now to segment two of our show, talking about the Indianapolis Colts. I will give you the floor here if you have any questions. All right, well, here's where we want to start, sir. Last year, last summer, me and my family, we go on vacation. Browns, Browns dress rehearsal, week three preseason game. It's on a Friday night. Next morning, we drive down to the Outer Banks of North Carolina. I get settled there. One of the people we're staying with, I just got a text that Andrew Luck retired. Huh? Andrew Luck retired? And you go and you start to see all this. Where, in your opinion, having did it put the franchise? Like, what was that feeling that night and then the season that has subsequently rolled on through? Like, just how crazy was that whole scenario? Because, I mean, this team was looking prime. It was looking really, really prime. And the key to it all, obviously, was number 12. And then all of a sudden, on one Saturday night, it was almost like the whole – almost like the lights got shut off for the 2019 season. Yeah, it really was just like outside of Lux retirement after that night. It was just a feeling of hopelessness for a little bit in the Colts fan base because you obviously lose your MVP contender, your best player on the team. But I was actually in the building that night, Luke Solo Stadium, Jeff, and the people were getting notifications on their phone from Adam Shepard. He's the one who broke the news. And it was just a crazy experience in the building there. It was just fans openly just walking out, taking their luxuries off, some of them just out of just pure like shock and despair. And it just seemed – it was such an, a surreal scene, honestly, because – just seeing a player retire, and of course it wasn't how Luck won the break. He wanted to break it to his team after the game and have a press conference that next day. But Adam Schechter broke it during the game, and seeing the reaction of the fans was just, I think, a little disappointing, of course, that some were booing him. But just an incredible just scene because who would have thought that Andrew Luck at age 29 is going to retire from the NFL? And what that did the rest of the season, Jeff, was just you had Jacoby Brissett. You had to give him an extension and boost it up the locker room a little bit. But as we saw later on in the year, as teams got more and more filling Jacoby Brissett, it was a really slippery slope from there. It got really awful at some points of the year, late in the year, where they were just a power-first run team. It was like the 1970s all over again. It just was not going to be sustainable. And I think that's why the Colts went on to do what they did this offseason, because Andrew Luck was such a good quarterback, but going down from Luck to Brissett was such a steep downgrade where they had to find something in the middle there. Yeah, and it was – I mean, for anybody, even NFL-wise, because I know we, when we were doing our talks, you know, during the offseason, man, the Colts, this is going to be something to watch here this year. And then just to see a way, you know, it you know, unfolded. And maybe not totally strange just for the type of kid Andrew Luck is, highly intelligent, you know, knew the amount of money he made, knew the pressures of the game, you know, 
and you know, obviously dealing with the injuries, but it was just like, wow, here's a guy that fought like hell to get himself right and get himself back on the field and then just feeling comfortable to just essentially walk away from it all here. Now, as we go into 2020, um, I think they did a really, really great job of beeping, beeping this team up. Obviously, the move for DeForest Bunker, fantastic, ridiculously good interior player, special, special talent. But I want to get to Philip Rivers here. Um, look, with Philip, with Ben Roethlisberger, with Eli retired, obviously all three of these guys, tremendous careers, all part of that same draft class. What's to make people think that what we saw of Philip Rivers in 2019 is going to be so much better with what Philip Rivers, the version we're going to see here in 2020 with the Indianapolis Colts. I think the Colts are selling the fan base and really they've said a lot to the media too, just about the offensive line, how big a difference is it going to make rivers was at the bottom five on offensive line last year. Now he's arguably stepping into the best offensive line in the NFL. So for a statuesque quarterback like rivers, Going behind an offensive line is not going to really help him get hit that much. It's huge for him. And especially with his arm strength kind of dwindling down, that, that's a really huge asset. And you have playmakers on the outside, too. And in the power run game, I know the Chargers had some playmakers like Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, but the power run game I don't think really was that good in San Diego, or in Los Angeles with Austin Eckler. You had Melvin Gordon being more of a, a complimentary back, I feel like, and now he's doing that in Denver this year. But you have Jonathan Taylor. Then you also have Marlon Mack in the building. And I think that's a really lethal one-two punch there. Almost reminds me sort of like Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram back in the day with New Orleans. I know it's not maybe as potent as that was, but it's, I think it's close on that level. And having that power run game is going to take a lot less pressure off Phillip Rivers to the point where he might not throw it more than 30 times in the game at some, some weeks. And it's going to be a lot of run first football and a lot of Phillip Rivers kind of being a game manager, so to say. And that's, there's too much pressure on Rivers last year in LA, but now with the Naples Colts, there's so many pieces around him on the outside and, and with the power run game and the offensive line. I think the expectation should be that there'll be less pressure on him and uh, the mistakes he made last year, 20 interceptions, a career high for him. Those will go down a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I do like the fit and, you know, I, and I, I give him credit um, for the, you know, for Eli, it could have been a similar path. You know, you, nobody ever thinks you'll see Ben Roethlisberger in another uniform. Um, Philip, look, he gets closed the gap, you know, halfway closer to home. Obviously, you know, he's got plans for 2020. It looks like he's, you know, going to go off and, you know, pump a high school through what 12 13 of his kids that he's going to pump through that high school so you know obviously some familiar faces in that locker room um but i i like to see it and I, you know and the thing with philip rivers and that nobody has ever doubted in his entire career is the competitor i mean we're talking about this guy who played a playoff game on a blown acl just a special special guy and his love commitment to the game is big time and for him to say you want to know what i, I want one more run at this and if it's not going to work out here i'm not going home on a with a sour taste in my mouth i think philip wants more chicken Wants one more battle. You know, wants to say one more January game, a little more comfortable where he can say, you know what, I'm at ease with this now. I can walk away and you know, go on to the next chapter of my life. Draft-wise here, um, you know, we talked about you know, uh, uh, Michael Pittman, Pittman to start. Um, Michael Pittman, it, it, that was the fun thing about this wide receiver group. I think everybody was you know, pretty content with where they felt the top one, two, three, four wide receivers were in this group. But when you got to that five to maybe even 15 range, I think everybody – kind of, you know, the variety or, or what you were looking for as far as what fit your team as far as these wide receivers switch. Pittman, I, I love the player, love the game. I love, you know, the contested catches, you know, big time. I mean, his Utah game still was probably one of the greatest, you know, prospect films I watched from the 2019 season. Jonathan Taylor, I mean, enough said there. Like you said, you're going to put him behind this offensive line, um, which I know very well. Quentin Nelson, uh, uh, you know, graduate from my high school here in New Jersey. So, no, Quentin, know his family really well. Really solid people here. And then, uh, please, just talk on those two. And I also want to hear what your thoughts were on Jacob Eason. I was a big Jacob Eason fan. And the fact that he went in the fourth round, I mean, I can kind of understand why. 
maybe it's a little bit in me, the sucker that I'm, I am still for the big, big arm. But, you know, like those are the guys I, I'd rather work with on the little stuff. Look, you can't teach everybody to just have, you know, the 99 mile an hour fastball. You know, sometimes it, you know, I'd rather work with that as opposed to you're not going to develop velocity. Sometimes you can work on a guy's off-speed stuff, so to speak. But give me a thought here on a couple of these big rookies that Cole's drafted. Yeah, starting with Michael Pittman there, it's a huge pick. I think Pittman got a game at 34, and you see Phil Rivers' history of big wide receivers, Vincent Jackson, Malcolm Floyd, Mike Williams. He's the next lineage in this. Michael Pittman's going to be, and he's going to be a guy who Rivers is going to trust right away. He had the best drop rate in the NCAA last year, only 2.8%, so very sure-handed. Like you mentioned, big body target, 6'4", 223. He's going to be just the player that Phil Rivers is going to chuck up those deep balls to, and he's going to trust Pittman to go get it. More often than not, like you mentioned at Utah tape, Jeff, that was an incredible performance where he just contested catcher to contested catcher, contested catch, just winning them consistently. And that's, I think, an elite skill in this league for wire series. And I think Pittman right away is going to come in and be a really very key ass to this offense. And complimenting T.Y. Hilton, too, I think that's a really fun duo. And you add in Paris Campbell of Ohio State, too. That is a fun tree. You put Campbell in the slot, you put Pittman at the X, and you put Hilton at the Z there. I think that's a really interesting mix of just strengths and weaknesses there as far as a lot of those guys cover their strengths with the other guy's weakness. I mean, I think that's just a beautiful blend of that they have at wide receiver there at Pittman. I think he's going to be a player who comes in right away and maybe is their leader in touchdowns this year because they love the big buy targets in Apple. They love even those in the red zone too. But Jonathan Taylor, I think it's my favorite pick of the draft, honestly. And I wasn't honestly expecting them to go running back at all because I thought they would sign Marlon Mack for an extension. But getting Jonathan Taylor at 41 overall tells us all we need to know about Marlon Mack's long-term future with the Colts. But Getting Taylor behind this offensive line, a player who never goes down first contact, it is just a beautiful fit because the power run game that the Colts have and the offensive line that they have, there's building a bully, I think, on the offensive side with Taylor and Quentin Nelson and these players. And I think that's just a really like scheme-wise and identity-wise what the Colts want to do. I think Taylor's a perfect fit for that. And then going on to Jacob Easton in the fourth round, I wouldn't have been a fan of taking Easton if it was in the second or third round, but I think fourth round at 122 overall with the value they got him at was a steal. Just because, like you mentioned, Jeff, he has the arm talent. I think the best arm talent in this draft. Look at the velocity, the types of throws he can make, 65 yards of frozen rope. Just some quarterbacks don't make that in this draft class. Turn to Jake Fromm for a second. It's like a polar opposite there. And <laughs> I think having Easton as that type of talent, to have Frank Reich as a quarterback guru mold him for a little bit, maybe you do pay off if Phil Burrs does play, let's say, two more years. He's, and Easton entering his age 24 season has two years to learn behind Phil Burrs and, and Frank Reich. I think you might as well roll a dice at one point overall because if Easton doesn't hit, you don't really lose much with a fourth-round pick. Exactly. And the other thing would be is, you know, even if you're still not sure, um, you know, with Phillip Rivers moving on, it puts you in the spot where one of these, you know, free agent quarterbacks, if you like the fit, you can jump all over it. Or, you know, if it's something you got to draft, you're pretty deep everywhere else. So if you got to go, even if you're going to have to give up some capital to move up, because most likely this team is not going to be drafting top 10 or 13 or 14 this season. <laughs> so, you know, they, they'd be able to drop back, I mean, move up, you know, and ch chase down a guy here. Now, you know, I, I think everyone can pretty much say, you know, Jacksonville, whatever Jacksonville is, is a year or two away. Um, but you look at Houston, you look at Tennessee here. Now, this is, you know, a difficult spot here. Um, you're in a division here where you already have two returning playoff teams from the season before. I think you've done a really, really nice job closing the gap. Are you confident with that? I mean, Houston, it's really hard to say where they are. Um, you know, some things they did, and I think they drafted well, the whole DeAndre Hopkins thing. You know, I'll stay up at night, and I'm not even a Texans fan, wondering what in the world happened there. Tennessee, Tennessee just kind of looks more like, hey, you know, we're just going to run it back, essentially, which – I guess. How confident are you that you know that this is a, a true three-way race for the AFC South title this year? 
I personally, Jeff, I only feel like it's a two-team race. It's what Houston did this offseason with whatever Bill O'Brien's trying to do there. I feel like it's really tanking the value of their team, at least for 2020. Deshaun Watson's going to have a washed-up David Johnson behind him, and he's not really had much peace around him outside of that. I know they have Kenny Stills still in the building, but they don't really have a true number one wideout right now. And that just really confuses me as far as what their plan is for 2020. And you're going to have a frustrated Deshaun Watson if they don't do well this year. So I think Houston's going to regress pretty badly without the DeAndre Hopkins in the building. So I think they're, they're not going to be in it much in the end as we're talking in December. So I think it's going to be really between the Titans and the Colts here. And I, I feel like Tennessee didn't really do much this offseason. actually lost, I feel like, more than they added here. And losing Jack Conklin to, ten, to Cleveland was a huge loss for them because now they have either Isaiah Wilson, a rookie, or they have a backup, a true backup last year, entering into at starting right tackle there. So I think – with how much they lost on Tennessee's side, you have Ryan Tannehill, of course, we don't know if he's going to regress or progress. Derrick Henry has an awful lot more trail tires of a big run last year. I think, I think Tennessee is more of a 500-type team, like 8-8, eight 9-7, eight, but I feel like this Colts team, with the moves they made on both sides of the ball, Philip Rivers, DeForest Buckner, they brought in also Xavier Rhodes as a corner just to see if he's lost some juice left. Mm-hmm. I think this team has really not only closed the gap, but I think they've leapfrogged these other teams. Where I feel like this Colts team, if all goes well, should be an 11-1 team. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty confident in it. Um, you know, if Tennessee, I mean, it, it's you know, it's hard to see that. For me, it's it's the Tannehill thing. It it really is. It's you know, it, it, he was hot when he needed to be in the regular season, and then they kind of got to the playoffs. <clears throat> and similar to San Francisco, it was like, well, we're going to do anything we can to pray to God our quarterback doesn't have to throw the football. And you know, how much can you know? Eventually, it's just going to be, hey, here's ten in the box. Before you know, he he's not beating us. Twenty two is not beating us. That's the way this is going to work out. So you're going to have to you know make some throws. Houston, again, look, you know, I, I just I'm, – I'm not sure that they are a better team than they were last year. Um, you know, I don't know how you subtract you know, DeAndre Hopkins away from that and feel that you're just a, a better franchise. So that's a really, really, really difficult one for me. So, you know, just with the way that and the way it was constructed, it constructed I, I, just, I just don't get it. But I do love what Indianapolis has done here. And I do think with that, that veteran and that fire that Phillip Rivers brings, and it's not just a – it's not. It's just not a game day. It's just the guy he is. It's just the way, he, the way he's wired. He's the same duty on Tuesday that he is late in the fourth quarter on game day. It's, it, you just you, you don't turn that on. You can't fake it. It's just who you are. And Philip Rivers is definitely that guy. And I think that could certainly certainly aid that franchise. Yeah, definitely agree. I think Philip Rivers is not only on the field and off the field can make a big difference for this team moving forward. But Jeff, I appreciate the time and you coming on. You guys once more can. Go follow Locked On Browns on all your stream platforms. Go follow Locked On Colts on your stream platforms. Appreciate the time, Jeff. Oh, always a pleasure, Evan. And uh, obviously, I guess we'll talk somewhere in October. Fingers crossed, hopefully.